welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of our pastors at Providence Church. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God, and we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're discussing Hebrew poetry. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. You're listening to Sleepless in Omaha. <laughs> I was telling Andrew before this, I love that movie, Sleepless in Seattle. Have you seen it? I think so, but I mean, it, it's old. Yeah. Right? I mean, maybe years ago. I was going to say, don't, don't say it with it. such disdain. It's, well, I, it's yes. It's old. It is. It's old. But I'm sleepless in Omaha today because I couldn't sleep last night. Actually, I was thinking about it. I ate yogurt before I went to bed. And if I eat anything before I go to bed, I just can't sleep. Anything at all? Anything. Oh, that's horrible. I know. So I think it's because of that. Anyway, well, I ended you up- why did you eat yogurt then? Well, I was hungry. And I was 12.45 by the time I finally decided I'm going to just lay back in bed. And you weren't anxious about anything? It was just the yogurt? <laughs> it was just the yogurt. I feel like I've heard people say like chocolate or obviously like caffeine or a lot of, but yogurt, I've never heard that before. I know. I also think it was because I had a day with the Lord yesterday and I didn't move. I probably had less than a thousand steps. So maybe I was just awake from all it's that energy. very few steps. Well, yeah, I'm sitting and praying. Well, you can walk and pray. Oh, no. If you don't like that? It was 99 degrees yesterday. I'm not going to walk outside. It was yeah, so hot. Yeah, but think about how good hot. you would have slept if you had sweat a little bit, you walked around a little bit in that yeah. heat. Wait, so like what time can you not eat past to fall asleep at night? I probably can't eat past 8.30 or maybe 9, but that's pushing it. What a rough morning for you. <laughs> but it's okay. I'm feeling alive. I actually thrive on less sleep. So, Well, why don't you just go off of two hours of sleep every day then? If you because thrive that's on it. horrible for your body. Well, then you don't thrive on it. But I feel like too, I do. I so <laughs> Guys, Andrew's spinning at, at me. He's giving me terrible looks. Okay, well, stop. <laughs> you know, I would like an apology in the form of a poem. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's a great segue. Speaking but of you're not which, getting one. <laughs> we are talking about Hebrew poetry today. And I'm really excited about this. I feel like you should be excited too, Andrew. You love the <laughs> Psalms and Hebrew poetry. Although you were just telling me that I should be excited. Oh just, no, I really think you should. Yeah, well, I am kind of. Why are you excited? You seem more excited than me. So tell, get me more excited by telling me, why should I be excited about Hebrew poetry? Well, I personally, disclaimer, love poetry. And I know that's not everyone's take on poetry, but in school, I love dissecting it. I loved finding the deeper meaning because I think that poetry explains things in really beautiful, heartfelt ways that connect with your emotions, but also have a lot of hidden meanings that are truly beautiful. And I think we see the same in Hebrew poetry. What makes something poetry or like a poem? Great question. I feel like there are a lot of different definitions for poems or poetry but a poem as according to google's definition would be the nature of speech and song that's always rhythmical or metaphorical and exhibits some formal element such as like a meter a rhyme or some stanzic structure so Certain songs and hymns can be poems, but not all songs can be poems. Okay, wait. So you mentioned metaphors, like a certain meter. Is that timing Mm -hmm. to it? Okay. Yes. But help me see how does that differ? Because like stories can have, like narratives can have metaphors and 
colorful language and, and like images that you, so what exactly is it mostly the like timing or structure of how it's written or what makes poetry different than a different type of writing or genre? Yeah, when I was reading this, one of the blog posts said that poetry is difficult to define. And the reason it's difficult to define is because it's an art form and it has different rules than normal standard writing. If you think about just a normal story, it's normally written in narrative form. So you have a block of text in paragraph form. You're describing the setting, the scene. But with poetry, you're using stanzas or lines or certain word counts to give it a rhythm and to give it emotion and imagery. And you're really trying to convey the images and the thoughts and meanings rather than a traditional story form. So when I think of poetry, immediately I think of like rhyming, Mm -hmm. but that's not like all poetry, right? Like my most classic like thing I think of is a bunch of lines that all rhyme. Not all poems need to have rhyming, but they have some sort of rhythm or repetition or balance in them that creates a certain memorable line that can stick in your head. And there's a lot of different types of poetry. You know, we're talking about in the Old Testament, we just mentioned Hebrew poetry, but we would have maybe be more familiar with English poetry or whatever. So like there are a lot of different types. So there's not just like a, again, like a poem is, you know, five syllables that all end in rhyming. Different cultures will have different styles of poetry. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a haiku is a Japanese poem and that looks completely different than just didactic poetry in general. Didactic poems have a clear or moral message to them. And that would be more so like scripture. Let's hone in on Hebrew poetry and people can figure out English poetry and whatever else they want to later. But for our purposes, we're trying to talk about how to understand poetry in the Bible, which like you mentioned already, a lot of us don't read a lot of poetry or understand a lot of the nuances with poetry. And now we're going to another culture's poetic setting and how they do it. So we've got all these different obstacles, which is why I think for some of us, we might love the Psalms, for instance, which is the classic example of poetry, which I found out researching for this. Somebody can fact check me on this, but I listened (laughs) to somebody who said that one out of every three pages in the Bible is poetry Mm -hmm. or has poetry on it because it's just all over. Even in narratives, you'll see breakdowns where like people will sing a song or like a lot of the way that prophecies are given is in a poetic style. You obviously have the Psalms and... Um, the Song of Songs and Lamentations, all these things that are poems, which is just crazy. But if that's true, and especially in the Old Testament, a lot of it is written in poetry, help us start to understand Hebrew poetry. Because I think that's that's massive for us. If, if a lot of the Old Testament is in poem, we need to understand how to begin to read that to understand a lot of our Old Testament. So mm-hmm. give us like just quick, some basic thoughts on Hebrew poetry. So a lot of this is really similar to what we said in our episodes over the Psalms, but Hebrew poetry has different stanzas or sentences. They're a lot shorter, but once we translate them into English, they're quite a bit longer. But if you look at the Psalms, the sentences themselves aren't necessarily that long. The stanzas are a lot shorter and therefore almost punchier in nature. Mm -hmm. 
which I think is helpful to understand, especially when you're memorizing them, because having them broken up in those short chunks sometimes is easier to understand. Andrew, we've talked about chiasms as a staff team before. Can you explain those a little bit more in depth? Yeah. So a chiasm is one of the ways of communicating in Hebrew poetry. So there's a, there's a lot of different ones um, that they use, like different kind of styles within it. But a chiasm is essentially where, so let's say you have like six verses or stanzas mm-hmm. or whatever. Verse one would introduce some sort of idea. You'd have the second verse, which kind of moves in to either explaining that idea or there's a little bit of movement. And then let's say you have verses three and four are kind of the center of your psalm. So that's kind of like the main idea, what he's trying to communicate. And then if you if you think about it, kind of like an arrow. So you have like one and then an indent, verse two, and then three and four, let's say, are right in the middle. And that's the theme of the psalm. And then verse five, you kind of backwards indent or whatever, mm-hmm. and it kind of lines up with verse two again. And there's another thought, um, essentially that's the same as verse two. And then verse six would kind of wrap up the idea by hitting the same idea in verse one. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that totally makes sense. And it's hard to say this because it, it's easier to show it visually, but essentially there, there's ways to communicate instead of just seeing linearly like these six verses Oftentimes what they do is they'll hit different themes that are pointing us to the main theme, which might be in verses three and four in this hypothetical situation. And then they kind of help rephrase it again in similar ways in verses five and six that correlate back to one and two. And the reason that that matters to know that is because it helps you, like you said, it's not just a narrative to where this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and now there's a resolution and you basically figure out the story at the end. Or like most books, you know, fiction books that we read or movies that you watch, you're kind of seeing it all play out. And then at the end, you see how it's resolved. Chiasm and like poems really aren't the same way. They're just styled differently. And so really the, the theme of what you need to know might be in the middle there. And how we understand that can come on the, like, the outside verses and it helps give light or shed insight into what we want to know about the psalm. Not all psalms are chiasms, right? Right. But I do think it's helpful to know that that could be a possibility. Even if you're deciding, I'm not going to study chiasms, it might be helpful to ask yourself and question, hey, could the actual meaning or the main purpose of this psalm be in the middle of the passage? Mm. Now, not all of them are chiasms, so that would be something you'd have to Google and kind of look into. But it's just good to know that there's a lot of thought that goes into the actual structure of how they're written. Yeah. One example on that, a great one is where you're you're kind of finding the psalm not linearly is Psalm 23, actually, which I'm I'm assuming a lot of people know. It's a famous psalm. What's interesting, and again, this is pretty in-depth, so don't let this be discouraging, I guess, if you don't see all this all the time. Because this is really just to help you and help you have fun and kind of see it in a different light. Yeah. So actually, if you read through Psalm 23, the center of the entire psalm, so Every line that the Hebrew poet is writing here, the very center line is the phrase in the middle of verse four, for you are with me. Now that's the Mm. center of it. 
and everything leading up to it is leading us up to that idea and everything afterward. It's the same exact number of lines afterward. It's mm-hmm. actually, I, I believe, the same number of words on both sides of this phrase, for you are with me. And so the whole psalm about the Lord is my shepherd, there's all these images and all these different things, and it's all centering around this idea, that phrase, for you are with me. That's the whole point of Psalm 23. And the way that we know that's the point is because in Hebrew poetry, the style shows us exactly that. It's not mm. a coincidence that he has the same number of words or the same number of lines leading up to it and the exact same number and different imagery coming out of it. That is like the style of Hebrew poetry. They do things like that to help you see this is the meaning. And so there's things like that that we don't necessarily read. Like as you read through Psalm 23, you read that line and you could even look in your Bible and say, it looks about in the middle. But in Hebrew, it's actually very intentionally the direct middle phrase that is helping you see everything else about the poem really hangs on the idea that the Lord is with me. That's so cool. And it gives you a completely different, well, maybe not completely different, but it gives you a different depth and picture of what the psalmist is trying to communicate. Yeah. And it always blows my mind because sometimes I can think, you can read the Psalms and it's like, did they literally just kind of sit down and threw these words out and then Mm -hmm. it'd be, but they're so organized and structured and detailed which is just poetry. I mean, it's beautiful language and stuff, but like you mentioned at the beginning, there's style to it. There's a way about it. And it's not just communicating a story. It's artistically, but in an organized fashion, telling you something within style, not just telling you the word to start with, the Lord is with you. And let me tell you about how that happens. It's this creative stylistic way of pointing you to that fact without just blatantly saying it. Mm. Which, why do you think God allowed people to write about him in that way? Well, one, I think you kind of mentioned, it's just beautiful that like, it it just points to something that is, is just different. I I don't know. It's similar to what we said about narrative where we could say the Lord is faithful or you could show this beautiful story about how the Lord is faithful to somebody that kind of captures, like kind of tugs at your heart. Like any good storyteller is saying it in this unique way and showing you pictures and characters and stuff to get you to feel it. I think similarly with poetry, it's this imagery of not just telling you, hey, when you're sad, God is with you. It's this highly organized, creative way of giving you imagery, giving you ways to feel it and showing you through the style that the Lord is with you in just a different way that can kind of capture your mind and heart than just saying it. Or even it's just different than in a story because in a story, Mm. we're oftentimes using reality, whether it's like actual, this happened, or even in fiction, it's giving you things in more of a real way than in poetry. Oftentimes, it's things that aren't actually like, couldn't actually happen. The imagery, I listened to this one podcast that was talking about Psalm 29, and it talks about how there's like this thunderstorm, basically, and it's showing you God's power, but it's relating that to you by making you think about and feel what is it like to be in a thunderstorm and to see the lightning and feel the thunder and the rain and all of this, that you're just out of control of this thing that's all around you and the power of the thunder and lightning. And he's saying, yeah, the the Lord is like that. Mm -hmm. And it helps you feel it and see it in just a unique way, which is just, I think what's so good about the Bible is you have all these different genres and God revealing himself 
in different styles and different ways for us to know truth about him, to experience his truth in different ways and to feel it in all these different styles. And seeing it in different styles also gives you a greater appreciation for how much God loves his people. I mean, we know that there are different ways that people learn, whether that's auditory or whether that's connecting more with poetry or narrative stories or just facts. And so how cool is it that God can speak to us in all of those ways in the Bible and also allow us and give us the tools to better understand the ways that we struggle with too. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about, so in in Psalm 1 also, similarly, it basically, the the whole point of Psalm 1 is you should delight in the Lord and do what he says, you know, Mm -hmm. and I can say that to you. And we could even tell a story about that, which also captures a different part of our hearts to do that. But Psalm 1 just paints these pictures of the blessed man or or the Mm -hmm. happy man, the man who is like thriving essentially and how he doesn't, you know, walk with sinners and sit with scoffers and stuff. And and it's just getting you to meditate on what does it mean to sit with somebody, you know? And, and in the, again, in this culture, like, just imagine you're sitting with a group of friends, you're enjoying each other, you're kind of sharing in this communal time and similarities and you're relating to one another. And he says, the blessed man doesn't do that with scoffer. Like you're not there sitting, making your home with these people. But then it goes on to paint this picture of a tree. It uses a different imagery and it says it's like a tree planted by streams of water. So you meditate on what does it look like for a tree to be by streams of water? And and what would it mean for a tree to be in a desert? You know, a tree that needs lots of water. What what would that look like? And how is that different from being by the stream? And you get these images in your mind and it's showing you truths or ways to live with different imageries and styles that are helping you meditate on these things in just a different way that I think can give us insight or compel us to living in a different way than just telling us, which again, sometimes is good. And there are letters in the Bible where Paul or James or Peter or whoever says, do this and don't do this, right? There is that, but there's also these other genres that just do it differently. I love that you brought up Psalm 1 because that's one of my favorite Psalms because of the imagery and what it's communicating. But the way that it hits you and I would be different than the way that it hits other people. And so how would you kind of give advice to those people? Because look, this Psalm talks about a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season. Well, from studying that, I know that fruit represents an excess of life. You can't have fruit on a tree unless a tree actually is soaking up enough water and nutrients. Just like we can't exhibit this excess of life, aka the fruits of the spirit or just flourishing in Christ unless we are actually thriving and deeply connected and the taproot of our soul is connected to him like a tree's taproot is connected to water but for me that hits for my husband he might be like well I don't actually know that because I haven't learned any of those things so yeah how do people start taking steps in that well a couple thoughts I think now I will have said this every episode so far you can't get better at something you don't practice or do. Mm. So that's good. And this is where, you know, and it could be like every week we think, okay, I'm going to just sit in narrative and I'm going to sit in the law. And I'm going to say, yes, we should. But this is why I also am big on like reading large sections of scripture, doing Bible in a year plans, like just consistently reading different parts of scripture, because you'll never get better at poetry unless you actually like read it and try. So I think that's just the first step is, especially with poetry, you know, a lot of it again is in the Psalms. So just start, they're short enough daily for five minutes, just read a Psalm and just start. 
practicing this. The other thing that I think is important about most poetry, especially the Psalms, is that it's not so much about just trying to find like a principle or just try to understand one image per se. It it's about finding the the meaning of the entire thing and then sitting in all those different imagery. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it's essentially meditating on what is this poem trying to communicate? So Psalm one, like you said, you can see pretty qu- quickly, oh, there's a contrast between the blessed man, the righteous one, and the wicked man, the one yeah. who's not doing well. There's that. We see that. And it's six verses, so it's pretty short. And we see that there's certain ways to live that seem blessed and righteous and certain ways to live that seem wicked. And it's essentially a call to be the blessed man, to like walk in that. Okay, so now we know that's kind of what we're looking at. So now as we go back and read through it, that's when we start to find mm. the imagery. So when it says, you know, blessed is the man who does not walk and then stand and then sit yep. with these people, which is another little thing there. As you notice, that's like, oh, that's interesting that first he's walking, then he's standing. Now he's sitting with these people and you just start to meditate on that. What does that mean? And what does that look like? And then you see the tree imagery and you start to think about what you said or do some research on mm-hmm. like, what does that actually mean for a tree to be by water? And what would that mean for it not to be? And you kind of sit there and you meditate on that. And as you're doing that, you kind of know the theme. And then a lot of it is just like meditating on it. Like, yeah. what does that imagery mean to that theme? What is this kind of helping me point to? And that takes a little bit of time. That takes a lot of like meditating on, praying through. But I think that's how we get really good at it is one, what I said at the beginning, the time, just like just doing it and practicing it. And two, not seeing poetry as something where I'm just trying to learn the meaning of it and I move on. The beauty of poetry really is in the meditating on the images, the contrasts, the parallels, the like all of those things. It's really finding those things and just letting your mind just sit on that. It's all true. And the beauty of it is finding out the truth within all these different styles. Yeah, that's good. And I wasn't outing my husband. He literally told me yesterday when I was using Psalm 1 as an example, he's (laughs) like, that just doesn't hit for me. But what does help him is song. And so hymns are really a form of poetry and their structure and the way that they are made up really does sit inside your heart and gives you a different depth of who God is and his character. So even if you do struggle with Psalms a little bit or you struggle with Hebrew poetry, maybe even start by just trying to sing it and maybe God will use that to kind of help that sink deep later on. Because I can't tell you how many hymns I start singing out of nowhere and the truths of them become more and more apparent the more and more I sing them. So for my husband, that's helpful for him. Whereas for me, it's really helpful just to even read in the Psalms as a deer pants for water. So my soul thirsts for you. And to think, okay, how can I place myself in that is helpful. But if that's kind of hard for you, start with hymns or songs. I feel like there's a lot of different ways to kind of dive in. Okay, so as people are doing that and they're wanting to try to read some Psalms and they're trying to pick up what are some of the images, what's the repeated words, like what I'm trying to find some meanings, give us a little bit of vision or motivation for if they start doing that, how might that help them with their relationship with God as they're starting to read, understand, meditate on these Psalms more? From personal experience, I think... It gives you a greater understanding, truly, as we've been saying through all of these episodes, of his character. When I'm in a dark place, especially, 
and I'm reading a psalm that talks about God reaching into the pit and pulling me out of the muck and mire and giving me a foundation to stand firm on. And I'm actually looking into the words behind that and the meaning behind that and really picturing it. It allows me to remember that I actually have hope in Christ, not in my circumstances and not in the darkness that I'm surrounded by. And so I think Psalms just give you a better picture of who God is, not only in the hard moments, but also in the helpful moments. And poetry in general just allows you to have something embedded deep in your soul that you can carry with you no matter the season and no matter the time. And I don't know if that's the rhythm or the rhyme of it. I think a lot of it is, but I just also think the imagery itself allows you to connect with God on a deeper level and trust him in a way that's different than just normal stories. Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.